Welcome to the You're Not Alone podcast, where we want you to find hope and encouragement from real people sharing their real stories. So here we go with your weekly dose of real talk, girl chat, and good vibes. Merry Christmas to you, friends. Today, before we begin, I want to ask you to keep Hannah and her family in your prayers. This is the first Christmas without her father, and there is an empty hole in several hearts. She's also been through several big events this year, so I know that your prayers would mean so very much to her and her husband and family. This season, we are extremely grateful for the love and support that you all have shown this podcast. Thank you for listening and sharing with your friends and family. Now, today's episode is with Erica Cooper. Friends, Christmas is not filled with joy for a lot of people during this season, and it's important that we take a listen and hear the wisdom that Erica has in store for us. She is a Christian minister with a background in grief support and hospice settings. She lives in Brooklyn, New York with her husband, Chris, and her daughter, Rosie, and she's serving as assistant minister at Plymouth Church in Brooklyn Heights. Here we go. So today I have Erica Cooper with me, and she and I had babies around the same time, and so go back a little bit. But I saw an article that you had written, and it was shared in a Brooklyn newspaper, and I thought, wow, I need Erica to come on and talk to us about grief during the holidays and just what that looks like and not feeling so alone. So I want you first to introduce yourself and tell a little bit about you and your family, what you do, your career. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me first. Um, yes, really excited to do this. Thanks. So I am, currently live in Brooklyn, New York, but I've only been here for two and a half years. I'm originally from Georgia, grew up in Athens, Georgia, served at a church in Jefferson, Georgia as a minister. And I think that's about the time that we met. Yes, um, I think so. Yeah. And uh, two and a half years ago, uh, I was called to another congregation here uh, in Brooklyn called Plymouth Church, and I currently serve as their assistant minister. I'm married to Chris. Uh, We've been married for 10 years now. He is a scientist, and we have a six-year-old daughter, Rosie, who's in first grade. So we are still getting used to this New York weather. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to ask how it is today. It's fine. It snowed yesterday, mm-hmm. but it's all melted now, and um, it's 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 cold. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. We had about two days ago. I think it was seventy degrees, and then this morning it was twenty nine. I'm like Georgia. What are we doing? <laughs> that's, that's so Georgia. <laughs> that is so Georgia, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here with us. Um, when I read the article um, that was featured in the newspaper. It was called Finding Hope During the Holidays. And while reading it, I knew I wanted to have you on and share with us because holidays are hard for a lot of people. Um, Some people, some of us are looking forward to all the joy and then some of us are grieving or having a loss. So can you share um, about that article? What led you to write it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in 2015, I was serving as a minister and had left the congregation and was in between time that I didn't know what I was going to do. And it ended up, I, I found a job in hospice as a bereavement coordinator. I, I never thought in a million years I would, I would work it, it, with grieving people, but I just felt God calling me to that. And it was such a transforming season of my life. Um, I, I was, was when we were in Athens, Georgia, and we were uh, living in Jefferson and figuring out what we want to do. And so I was kind of going through a grief 
in and of myself <laughs> trying to yes. figure out what I was, um, what was, what were the next steps. So um, coming on into hospice, my role was to just walk with families after they lose a loved one. And we do that for a year after someone passes. And I did not expect to have the volume of, of people, but it was hundreds of families um, that we were serving. And it, it was such a blessing to see that journey and to witness and to walk with people in that journey, but also to see their own challenges and difficulties and want to help them through that. And one of the things we started to see is that during the holidays from Thanksgiving to New Year's, usually there was an uptick in, in grief care needs. And it makes sense. I mean, I think anytime when you, Whenever you have any kind of grief in your life, whether that's the loss of a job or a life transition, the loss of any kind of hope, infertility, uh, miscarriage, the loss of a loved one, a loved one's death, that automatically puts us in a, in a very difficult season of, of pain and trying to adjust and all, all kinds of emotions. But during the holidays, it's like we hold a magnifying glass up to that pain. There is so much expectation during the holidays for us to have everything great. You know, the perfect decorated house, the, the perfect events planned, the perfect church service, the, the perfect family gathering. And when you're grieving, nothing's perfect. So you're automatically thrown into this giant challenge of how do I live in these two worlds of I'm in pain, my life isn't good, but I have to pretend that it looks good. What I wanted to do and what I do in my work now is to help people understand that it doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> and so I, I serve the church in that way um, through pastoral care and through support groups we do here at the church on grief. But I also, anytime I get a chance to spread that into the wider community, I like talking about grief issues, particularly during the holidays. Right. Oh, my goodness. You just being able to serve as a bereavement counselor, first of all, like that is a gift. Not everyone can serve in that capacity. So thank you for using your talents for that. So many families were probably impacted by your grace and your love during that, that time. Thank you for talking about how between Thanksgiving, Christmas and New Year's, how it is amplified. That's true. We just hold that magnifying glass up to, we want everything to be perfect because we feel like that's what it should be. What are some things that someone who is grieving or has experienced that loss and not quite sure, you said, I try to tell people this is not, you don't have to be perfect during this time. Mm -hmm. um, what are some ways that you can go about that so that, you know, you don't focus so much on that perfection? What should that look like? A little insight into that. Yeah, I think just acknowledging feelings is the first step of just saying, and it's not even just perfection. It's okay to say this Christmas is not going to be good. This season just sucks. <laughs> and, and to allow that, to give you permission to, to live into that. Yes. Um, so acknowledging all, all the pain surrounding it, uh, the loneliness, any anger, any guilt you might feel, any just uh, apathy toward the holidays too, that's okay. So all of those feelings need to be identified. It's helpful okay. to do that and give, you know, even writing them down. Um, journaling is always a good thing to do during this time. Yes. Um, but first acknowledging those feelings. Uh, another thing I would recommend is shifting your expectations. Um, we, the holidays also are so tied up in tradition. 
So we, we do the cookie baking day or we do the, the special Christmas light outing or going caroling. And when we are grieving, we can't expect ourselves to do those exact same things because it's not going to feel the same. Um, so shifting what, what those expectations are. Um, I'll give you, I'll give you a brief example. Um, when I was in hospice, I was serving a family who, uh, lovely family and the, the father played well, was Santa Claus. That was his job. He was a, a mall Santa Claus and he was, oh, awesome. it was like Mr. Christmas, you know, and they, yes. the family Christmas was such a huge thing in, in their lives. And so when, when the patriarch of the family passed away, Santa Claus passed away, mm -hmm. they were trying to figure out what, what Christmas would look like moving forward. And they were devastated because they had this big lunch on, on Christmas day with family coming in. And it was this really uh, wonderful time. And they knew that wasn't going to happen. So what they ended up doing is, is changing the tradition that year of not trying to recreate it. Mm -hmm. um, and instead they went to IHOP for breakfast. And with just the, the mom and the daughter and, and they just had a quiet little day that was just theirs where they didn't feel pressure to put on any kind of hospitality, you know, uh, or any kind of, uh, hosting duties. Mm -hmm. They, they just did it their way in the way that felt good to them and checking in with them after they said it was the best decision we made. Awesome. Um, in lieu of gifts that year, they just bought each other tickets for a cruise you know, there's, you can do things different and to give yourself permission to shift those expectations of what the holiday looks like and to say, we're just, we're just not going to do it this year. Yes. Um, other things were um, connecting with other people, but in a, in a more personal, safe way. Okay. You're going to a lot of parties during, or invited to a lot of parties yes. during the Christmas season. And at parties, it's not the best time to uh, to really be honest with people about pain right, because right. it's awkward. Um, mm -hmm. So in, instead of connect, feeling like you have to connect in these large social groups, find a few trusted friends to say, hey, can we go get a cup of coffee or can we go for a walk today? Um, doing Connecting with friends in a more intimate way where you can be yourself, not feel pressure to feel like you have to be happy and jolly, just to be very real. And um, maintaining those relationships are important because it prevents that loneliness and isolation. Um, and, and then another big thing is, is getting professional support, talking to a bereavement counselor, talking to a minister, um, talking to anybody who can give you some tools, some practical tools that you can use to help you get through this time is, is always helpful. I like that you mentioned permission, giving yourself permission. And I think in my own personal grief journey, that's been hard because you want to hold on to the traditions and everything. So I like that you said permission. It's okay to do that. And thank you for that example of that sweet family. That's powerful to hear that it can still be an okay Christmas if you change your traditions um, and they created new memories. So at your church, you help with or probably lead the blue Christmas service. That's the first time I'd ever heard of a blue Christmas service when I was reading that article. So will you share what that looks like? I know you guys had hosted it already. Absolutely. We um, had it last Wednesday um, okay. a week ago and it's, we do it every year. It is a time of worship for people, for, for Christians in our, in our church and in the community that live in that difficult season of, of grief and loss and not just after for the death of a loved one but also 
um, for many people, it's just a, it's a, it's a difficult time of life. And we wanted people to be able to have a place where that pain is acknowledged and they can know that God cares about them. Um, so the blue Christmas service, a lot of churches have done blue Christmas services, or they call it the longest night services, which is on like the night of winter solstice. Um, ours is, is a service at night. Um, we, we sing Christmas carols. We sing, uh, but not, you know, not joy to the world. We sing, O come, yeah. O come Emmanuel, mm-hmm. more of those uh, Christmas carols rooted in longing for hope. And what we want people to experience when they leave the sanctuary is that there is hope in the midst of their chaos and pain. Um, we talk about that. Um, if I can just be honest, yes. I'm not a huge Christmas person. <laughs> I might be honest. Yes. Experience. Uh, it is really ironic for a minister to not be, I'm an Easter person. I'm not a Christmas person. I like Easter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something Something about Christmas has always made me feel a little, a little sad, a little blue. And I, I don't know, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, it's just, it's never been the happiest time for me. And I think part of my own struggle with grief and, um, and, you know, difficulty growing up and, and, you know, life has, has led to my resistance to these expectations or my anxiety around these expectations for the holidays. So a service like Blue Christmas um, really leans back on the, the theology of, of ancient Israel, that God needs to come and fix things. And we will praise God nonetheless, but God needs to come and fix things. God, come here. O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that is the Christmas story. I mean, if you think about it, Christmas isn't for the, the jolly and the happy. Christmas is for those that are longing and sad and in pain. And to me, that makes it so much more special. Yes. Um, even, even the story of that surrounds the birth of Christ, it wasn't this joyful celebration. It was a lot of chaos happening. You know, under Mary and Joseph, uh, Jew, Jewish people under Roman rule, having to travel all the way to Bethlehem. Because <laughs> yeah. They need to be counted to be taxed. Like their right. oppression is just right there on the page. Yes. The stress and, was high. <laughs> yes. Mary, you know, being an unwed mother at the time, you know, all the rumors and gossip that must have been happening, all of the, the chaos of, of not knowing uh, if your baby's going to be okay with the infant mortality rate so high back then. And there's all of this pain and chaos and um, the unknown. And they go into this place and they, she goes into labor and they need to find a place to, to have this baby. And there's no room. And they say, okay, we'll just go over there in the barn. <laughs> uh-uh. Can you imagine? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and it wasn't the ideal situation, but in the midst of that, in the midst of all of that uh, craziness, they could still sense God's love and hope and peace and, and joy. And that is the goal of the Blue Christmas service to help people find that Christmas story, um, which looks a lot different than, right. than what we treat it as. Right. Um, and, and so uh, for our Blue Christmas, we, we have a, we, we sing a, a, a lot of uh, kind of sadder Christmas songs, <laughs> ones about hope and longing. Uh, we, we praise the Psalms of Lament 
um, which are a really important to pray. We we light candles for loved ones that have passed. We light candles for ourselves, and we have time of silence. Yes. And it was really special last week because um, we last week we just lost one of our staff members. Oh wow! Uh, at the church to Sorry. cancer, and yes. we're all as a church we're all really grieving this right. wonderful person. Um, and and after the service, and it's never a hugely attended service. We don't expect it to be, but after the service, people didn't want to leave because we had this, it was dark in there. We had all these candles lit. And so we just kind of gathered near the front of the sanctuary and we all looked at one another and we just were standing in a circle around the communion table where all the candles were lit. And we just held hands and we said a prayer. Um, And it was, it was just so beautiful and healing and lovely to recognize that this Christmas is different. This Christmas isn't going to be the same. Yes. Um, it sounds like you guys do a great job of bringing the hope and peace um, yes. that, you know, God's That's trying. That's what we strive for. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it sounds beautiful. That is amazing. And I'm so sorry for your church's loss and, and your loss. Um, thank you for being honest and real. Um, gosh, that I, I love that. I love that whole design. So if... You know, obviously some of us are not local to New York, but if that was something you think you said blue Christmas or the longest night, longest night service. Service. okay. So maybe Google those and absolutely in your find area, there's always a church doing something. Like okay. That. Okay. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that. Are there any resources that you have that, um, books, music, podcasts, anything, um, that you would like to share for that person who might feel alone and say, okay, I just listened to this. I want to go to the blue Christmas service, or I'm giving myself permission to change traditions. Um, I want something tangible to hold or something. Yes, actually there are wonderful, um, websites that you can go to online that have multiple articles and, um, directions to how to find a support group. And it, even support groups that have their own platform online where you can connect with other grievers via social media. One is grief share. And I don't know if many churches have grief share programs. I've led grief share programs before. They are a 12 week uh, support group that meets once a week to go over how to help yourself through, through grief and how to find support through grief. Those are wonderful groups and many churches will host those. They have a great website though. It's griefshare.org. They have a section specifically for the holidays and they have a video you can watch and it's it's really, really fantastic. They also have holiday events. There might be a grief share holiday event, which is just okay. specifically like one-off if you don't want to join a support group. It's a one-off class um, that you can go okay. to that talks specifically about that. Other resources, compassionatefriends.org is a website designed for people that have lost children, which is always very difficult. They also have support groups uh, that meet the Dougie Center. It's Dougie.org, D-O-U-G-Y.org. They're um, a, a wonderful site that has lists for children that are grieving and okay. families that are grieving. Um, it's always important to recognize children's grief. A lot of times we think, oh, well, children aren't grieving. They seem okay. Um, but children grieve very differently than adults do. Um, so it's important to, to support children and teens as well. I would say, too, I mean, there's so many books out there that uh, are, are good resources for, for grief. It depends on what you're looking for. And you can, you know, go to Amazon and just Google and grief. Right. But, you know, a lot of times, though, I found handing someone a giant book 
When you're grieving, you do not have the energy to concentrate on a giant book. There are wonderful little book resources through Stephen Ministries. They have a, a packet of grief resources that take you through that first year. Also, um, hospices, any local hospice. Part of being a hospice bereavement coordinator, you're not just a, a grief care person for that hospice, you're a grief care person for the whole community. Oh, wow. um, yes, you're a resource for the community. So um, you can contact any hospice, ask to talk to their bereavement coordinator, and they can you know, lead you in the right direction about local resources as well. So that's, uh, all those can be, can be really helpful. Yes, that is very helpful. I will link all of those in the show notes so that people can go and find those resources. So thank you for sharing those. That sounds like a plethora of them. So (laughs) thank you. I'm glad there is so much out there, but I like to be able to um, pinpoint something because it can seem very overwhelming. So thank you for sharing those specific ones. Um, Anything else that you would like to add about this specific topic? I was, I was thinking about the name of your podcast, which Mm -hmm. I just love. You are not alone. And for anyone grieving, I just want them to understand and know that they are not alone. Um, There are people out there that might not understand their pain or might not be able to fix their pain, but they can help them not be alone in their pain. And that makes all the difference for people that are grieving. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That's why we created it. So I love that (laughs) you've been able to be a light and share that. So all of our episodes, some of them are harder than others, but we like to end on a lighthearted question. And so we want to get to know you a little bit more. What are a few things or a couple things that you are loving right now? So um, a, a couple things that I'm loving. One is a, is a snack I had this morning. Which Tell I, us about <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm sure people, it's called the veggie sticks. Which yes. <laughs> I know it's so silly. <laughs> but like for I, I, it's a stressful time for a minister right now and like I'm doing a lot of stress eating and someone had these veggie sticks that they're just fabulous <laughs> I love it I thought you were gonna say you stole them from Rosie because I'm like that I'm like packing a I snack know. and then I'm fixing myself some I'm like why am I eating veggie straws <laughs> I know we, they're considered like kind of a children's snack but as an adult if you're looking for a salty delicious like little thing to stress yes. eat Veggie sticks are good, um, but, but but on a more serious note, um, I I am really loving um, this book, Inspired, by Rachel Held Evans. Okay. Um, Rachel Held Evans is a um, well, she she was a, just a fantastic Christian writer. She passed away last spring and uh, died at a very young age, 37, um, from, from the flu of all things, from complications from the flu. But her la- this is her last book she um, came out with, which is 2019, and it's called Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again. And we're, going, we're reading this in our women's Bible study class at church, and I... I is it okay if I just read a section from Please. it? Please, yes, I absolutely. Just, I love this so much. So this book is all about how we have been, ta- how we kind of grew up thinking the Bible is a certain way and it's very concrete and it's just, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is the way it is. It fell from the sky and it's this magic book and right. um, and so understanding we can get gather or, or gain more of a richness of of our own story and of God's story by understanding the Bible a little bit better mm-hmm. and exploring it more. So. Um, I I just want to read this section. So 
she says, uh, we've been instructed to reject any trace of poetry, myth, hyperbole, or symbolism, even when those literary forms are virtually shouting at us from the page via talking snakes and enchanted trees. Talking about those crazy stories in the Bible. Yes, yes. That's because <laughs> there's a curious but popular notion circulating around the church these days that says God would never stoop to using ancient genre categories to communicate. Speaking to ancient people using their own language, literary structures, and cosmological assumptions would be beneath God, it is said, for only our modern categories of science and history can convey the truth in any meaningful way. In addition to once again prioritizing modern, Western, and often uniquely American concerns, this notion overlooks one of the most central themes of scripture itself, God stoops. From, from walking with Adam and Eve through the Garden of Eden to traveling with the liberated Hebrew slaves in a pillar of cloud and fire to slipping into flesh and eating, laughing, suffering, healing, weeping, and dying among us as part of humanity, the God of Scripture stoops and stoops and stoops and stoops. At the heart of the gospel message, this is a story of a God who stoops to the point of death on a cross. Dignified or not, Believable or not, ours is a God perpetually on bended knee, doing everything it takes to convince stubborn and petulant children that they are seen and loved. It is no more beneath God to speak to us using poetry, proverb, letters, and legend than it is for a mother to read storybooks to her daughter at bedtime. This is who God is. This is what God does. Oh, I love that. Thank you for reading that. <laughs> You just speaking about um, stooping and how God stoops um, the verse of my, I don't know that I feel like this season is um, James four, eight, where it's come close to God and he will come near to you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I just like when you were talking about, he's stooping down, he does it over and over. So I will have to pick up that book. I love it already. <laughs> that is beautiful. Fabulous. Yes. You sold me on it. So thank you for reading. <laughs> thank you for reading that to us. And thank you for taking time out during this busy season and um, hard season to share all about this and give some hope to um, our listeners so that they don't feel so alone. So thank you. Thank yes. you so much. Yes. Thanks, friends, for listening to today's episode. Be sure to follow along on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any exciting new episodes. <laughs>